Hi everybody, I'm here today with Matt Cooperholtz, who is a partner with PricewaterhouseCooper. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Matt's work, and I'm a big fan of his work, um, he's sometimes referred to in Australia as the data whisperer. Um, his work involves solving complex business problems using data. And sometimes that's in a conventional way, such as improving a supply chain, and sometimes it's in the not-so-conventional, such as detecting money laundering or bank fraud. So, Matt, lovely to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Now, um, I've heard you talk before about the six levels of CRISP-DM, and I'm really wanting to dig a bit deeper on step three and step four today. But for those people who aren't familiar with what that even is, yeah. please could you explain and just give us a quick overview of what those six steps are, first of all? For sure, and it's actually going to be part of my presentation, and in fact, it's the beginning, end and middle of most conversations I'm having out in client land because it brings a structure to solving problems with data. Uh, it was originally invented maybe 14 years ago and it's still one of the most common processes. In fact, was polled as the most common data mining process in use globally. We have a special variant of it that we use inside PwC, uh, which we call DNA 2.0, Data and Analytics 2.0. And the six steps of CRISP-DM, and there are sub-steps, and uh, again, when we use it, it's used for everything from a preliminary discussion with a uh, business person, not an analytics person, right through to how we scope the job, resource the job, manage the job, conduct the job, file the job, quality assure the job. So it really is an end-to-end -end process for us. And the first step is called business understanding. And it's a really important thing. I think I've been doing analytics for a long time and it used to be okay just to do analytics for analytics sake. Um, but that results in a lot of shelfware. Mm. So business understanding ensures that we don't start with an, a, an analytics challenge. Mm. We start with a business problem and that business problem is assessed to have significant value, financial or otherwise. Uh, it's assessed to be something we can influence uh, we map out who the stakeholders are, we understand our time horizons and we discover what success looks like mm -hmm. and how we're going to measure it. So the business understanding phase is very much aligned with your traditional consulting. At the back of business understanding, you should get an analytics problem statement. Because our problem is customer churn, we want to predict it sufficiently in advance. Yeah, right. Or because our problem is targeted marketing um, and we've got limited budget, we want to know um, which segments should be targeted with which medium, which channels, at what time and what message. So the, you start with the business problem, you translate it to an analytical problem in the first step. The second step, data understanding, says what assets both within the client's organisation um, or external, and external could be anything from the weather to microeconomic data. Mm -hmm. uh, social is a very important external data asset. It's a great way to get to know customers yeah. is um, having a look at where they're bearing their emotions on Facebook, Instagram, etc., um, or for more business applications, LinkedIn perhaps. Um, data understanding, what are these assets? And they may be disparate in separate silos. Uh, they may not be of perfect quality and vendors may have been telling the clients that you need to overhaul the whole thing. Uh, I disagree. I find data is usable in whatever format it's in and I'm not talking about big data, high velocity necessarily. I could be talking about spreadsheets. Um, often we are talking about data that was collected for another purpose, for example, to send out an accurate bill. Mm -hmm. We needed to track your usage. Um, but we can repurpose that data asset to solve another problem. For example, from your bill, we could determine your propensity to be upsold or cross-sold or what the next best offer is. Yeah. So step two, data understanding. 
Step three is the art and the science, as far as I'm concerned, of, um, of releasing value from data, and that's called data preparation. And that's all about taking the data on a journey from where it is at the moment to where it needs to be to address the business challenge. So an example may be, uh, back to the billing data, the data may uh, have line items, which is the customer, the line item, the product and the amount, and there would be many of those on a single bill and there'd be many bills per customer. Mm -hmm. But if I'm trying to understand um, an upsell or a cross-sell opportunity to that customer, um, I'm interested in customers. So I need to take that billing data on a journey from the line items up to the bill, from the bills up to the customer, and along the way we're um, manipulating and transforming and joining and enriching that data to allow its secrets to emerge using the fourth step, which is modelling. Uh, so my speciality is machine learning and artificial intelligence, which is a type of modelling tool, technique. Um, and there are other much simpler modelling techniques, whether it's regression or um, factor analysis or simply um, business intelligence chop, slice and dice, right through to optimisation or prescriptive modelling. The interesting thing is you might think that a, a high-powered modelling technique is what's going to bring the value. Actually, a less powerful modelling technique, in my experience, with better prepared data, gives you a stronger result than a really high-powered modelling technique on poorly prepared data. So why it's the art and the science is um, you have to have had a fair amount of experience plus intuitive feedback loops as to what's working and how you bend and twist that data. Yeah. And heaps of stories I have of the same raw data being prepared differently, suddenly revealing the additional predictive capability or the additional insight. Uh, so the fourth step, modelling. The fifth step is about evaluation. So checking the results of the modelling to the data prepared, from the data understood, back to the business problem. Um, in prediction, this is pretty obvious. Are we talking about an uplift or a predictive accuracy or sufficient specificity? Mm -hmm. um, but there are other forms of evaluation, which sometimes you can't do just with withhold testing. Um, you need to do by sample testing out in the field um, or running some trial marketing campaigns. And the sixth step is deployment. And without the sixth step, uh, the whole thing's not worth very much. Yeah, so right. <laughs> this is where traditional consulting or PwC mm -hmm. is a one-stop shop for strategy through to execution yep. um, can help you deploy with change management or people and organisation yep. or digital capabilities. Yeah. You have to do something with this insight mm. and you have to have understood in step one, business understanding, a large part of that is how are we going to deploy? Yeah. Is this an expert system? Um, is this some automated process? And I hate saying it, a robust robotic process automation, they're not robots, they're just um, computer scripts. Um, is the deployment a dashboard? Is the deployment a, um, a note that flashes up to the call centre operator? Yeah, right. So many options for deployment yeah. are often defined up front in business understanding. So that's, yep. that's the six steps yep. and they work for everything from marketing challenges to employee challenges or, you know, you mentioned supply chain yep. um, or operations or financial risk. There's the, that same six-step process is ubiquitous in, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And um, I, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper in step three at, at, at the minute because, um, you know, you've talked about that before as being the place where the magic happens. Mm. What are some of the essential sort of skills that are needed to excel in that, in that step? <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> one because the, the skills of the team mm -hmm. are quite varied. They don't necessarily have to reside within the one individual. Mm. 
Uh, one of the, you know, there's no replacement for experience in what works or doesn't work for data preparation. Mm. How best to handle outliers, when something yeah. should be transformed logarithmically versus linearly, um, when your reference table to join things up needs to be at a certain level of a hierarchy. Mm. Um, there's creativity involved and then there's actually the technical skills to, in a robust, repeatable, auditable mm. way, take the data on that journey. Yep. So typically we're talking about um, data manipulation using relational databases or possibly beyond um, if, the, if the data is large enough or requires a um, more modern database environment or data environment such as Hadoop or, or otherwise. Um, it's actually, I probably shouldn't be giving this away in an interview, but it's one of the nastier questions I will ask um, when interviewing someone um, <laughs> for a job where data preparation is going to be part of it, which yeah. is, Imagine you have three fields um, and imagine we are solving for um, a customer acquisition challenge and the three fields are the date, the customer ID and an amount. Very simple. Um, what would you do with that data? Mm -hmm. So it's three dimensions at the moment but it's got a many to one relationship with customer. Yes. So of course they should say I'm going to count transactions, yep. I'm going to total the value, yep. I'm going to tell you the average value. I'm going to tell you if the value is monotonically increasing. I'm going to tell you the variance in the value, how many different buckets it falls into. I'm going to tell you round dollar numbers versus non-round dollar numbers. Mm. I'm going to look at um, seasonal interweek effects, time of day, day of week. Right. I'm going to look at the kurtosis, the skewness, the nature of the distribution. You can tease those three dimensions right. out into hundreds of dimensions. And it's only when you've done that that the modelling tool yep. it has the chance to find the deep, valuable insight. Yeah, got it. Because if you only do five variables, you're only going to think, find things yeah. in five variables. If yeah. you do 500, yeah. it may have been variable number 498 yeah, right. combined with 316 yeah. where the secret to the best customer to upsell or cross-sell or acquire lies. Yeah. Yeah. You were talking before about how the same sort of set of data has sometimes been then used in, with data visualisation in different ways yeah. to tell a really different story. Can, mm. you, can you give us a bit of an example of that? Well, you know, if we stick on the idea of billing data, because mm -hmm. everyone bills them, not everyone, many, many companies bill their customers, mm. and that billing data might be used to track um, total revenue by state mm -hmm. over time. Um, it might be used to track the success of one product versus another. It might be used to track the infiltration of a competitor or a disruptor into a space. Mm. Um, it might be used to design a new product. Yep. So that same billing data can be repurposed many times over to address many business problems. And the, the beautiful thing about data science is we're not using it up. Yep. Um, it's not a cup of sugar that if I use it for this, I can't use it for that. Mm. Um, it's data that can and should be repurposed and it can and should be federated and it can and should be shared and joined because we start to create value where it didn't exist before with a yep. non-perishable asset. I mean, how exciting is that? Now, in terms of data visualizations, I know that you're a, a, a fan of visualizations that come from machine learning, mm. especially the self-organizing map. Can you tell us a little bit about why that's the case? Uh, it, is a, it is a particular favorite of mine, but not without having proven itself many times over to me in all manner of domains. Mm -hmm. um, the reason is that this is a technique which can work with very high dimensional spaces. So if I have 500 things, about a customer derived from those three fields we talked about before, yeah. 
Uh, many techniques, or if you try and graph 500 variables at once, it's going to be um, ugly and very difficult to interpret. Mm. Um, if you try and work with 500 variables in, in many other techniques, you're going to have issues with uh, technical issues with multicollinearity or missing data or um, irrelevant data or erroneous data. Mm -hmm. The self-organised map is very forgiving to all of those things. It, it allows the data to organise itself and it's, it's not thrown off the scent by some of those, those traditional challenges. Moreover, there's a highly visual interface to the model that results. So I can take you as a non-technical stakeholder mm -hmm. um, through a visual exploration of as many dimensions as you want. So you say, well, I had this marketing campaign and I felt that that compared to um, the economic um, environment at the time, um, compared to the competitor's activity, um, didn't work for these reasons. Okay, let's look at those dimensions together. Yeah. Um, and now let's ask it, what's another relevant dimension? Oh, it's gender and age right. where the socioeconomic factor is greater than or less than X. Yep. Let's open those dimensions. So mm -hmm. it allows us to interact visually with higher dimensional spaces. Uh, the most I've done is 17,000 odd dimensions Whoa. simultaneously oh considered <laughs> for 10 million customers of a large North American bank, which wow. um, sounds impressive, but what's more impressive is it was behind the most successful marketing campaign they'd ever run in their 200 year history. Wow. So we don't just go for um, size because we can. Yep. Um, it, it proves itself over and over again that the more you know, the more you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, Matt, have there been any recent um, innovations in data visualisation? Yeah, I'm going to try and talk about some of them today. And, you know, many innovations are um, dragged along by things like gaming. Yes. You know, you have a look at the... Um, the ability of graphic processing units to rapidly perform calculations, yeah, which absolutely. means they're the engine rooms behind mining for Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, or you look at the rendering dri driven by gaming that finds its way into all kinds of um, modelling or mm. 3D modelling or movies. So some of these visualisations are not yet in the field of marketing. Mm -hmm. um, I bought my first virtual reality helmet in 1995. <laughs> Um, it was an immersive helmet called the Fort VFX-1 and I've been mad keen on virtual reality ever since. Um, 21 years later, I think we're finally getting there. Yeah, so yeah. what virtual reality allows us to do is work and interact with 3D space, which is much more how we work and interact with yeah. the real world. So I think what's happening in that space, while still um, you know, beyond leading edge, almost bleeding edge, yeah. is an exciting development yeah. in the field of visualisation. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's interesting how long it's taken actually to get there in the world of VR, isn't it? Yeah. Like yep. it's starting now, but yeah, it has taken a long time. Um, so Matt, what's changed since the last time we spoke to you? The last time Adma interviewed you, we were talking about the, the sexiness of data science as a profession. We were talking about how CEOs now expect data-driven decisions to yeah. be made. What, what's changed in the last year? Well, I think those trends, like the amount of data, yeah. um, have only continued to accelerate and, and even more so. So... Um, my team's grown anonymously, anonymously, my team's grown enormously. enormously. <laughs> um, our ability to embed data inside everything we do is much more prevalent. Um, our firm ha now has a chief data scientist, um, cool. which is me, which is great. <laughs> it's the title I always wanted. Um, 
we've appointed the chief data scientist to the leadership team. It's seen, it's seen as important enough to be um, at the crux of how we do all of our business. Yeah. Um, you see uh, Turnbull with the national innovation and science agenda, yep. um, putting data and knowledge working at the forefront of the future of Australia. Yeah. Uh, I think, have a look even at this event Yes. Compared to last year, oh, how you're using data absolutely. and real-time dashboards to yeah. track and tweak the event in real time. So yeah. uh, it's, it's what we talked about last time, but only more so and yes. juicier and better. Yeah, that's great. Lovely. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to you're talk to us today. You're most welcome. It's my pleasure. I've been talking today to Matt Cooperholtz, who is a partner at Price Waterhouse Coopers. Thank you. Thank you.